Oh my mm. goodness. Mm. We've had three weeks of sickiness. I know. It's horrible. You should hear our house. It sounds like a hospital. Jen was the first one. We're going to blame her because she's not here today. Yes. Sorry, Jen, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> and I think she got it from her kids. Yeah. Then it went through us, this flu thing. Next year, I'm getting a flu shot. All right. Good. I got mine this year. See, I got something different than you got. Yeah. And I felt kind of guilty because I was like, I was in this community theater play. And like, when you said you were getting sick, I was like, no, I can't get sick till Tuesday when the play is closing. Yeah, great empathy. Thank I you. know that I caught myself and went, dang, I'm really selfish when I'm in a play. But then you started, you got 103 fever. And I, at that point, again, I felt guilty because inside I was like, oh, phew, I got a flu shot this year. So, but <laughs> outside I was like. Oh, that stinks because yeah, he was man. miserable. Oh, it just kept hanging on. Yeah, miserable. I'm glad it's on its way out, yeah. almost out. Well, but then I caught what was going around in the cast of the play I was in, which mm. is a more like a chest cold cough thing. And I still have a lingering cough because I have asthma. So I'm still not 100%. But we're giving you the best we can give you <laughs> in this recording today. Yes, I will try <laughs> so not to cough. We'll try to get this out. I heard from the publisher. Yes. Yesterday. Yay. Got the final proof for the manuscript of my book coming out. A book that two years ago I thought it would take me two months to, <laughs> to get done. I'm sorry to say, but in my head I was like, two months, huh? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but of course well, I wouldn't say that to you. It's been pretty much written for quite a while, but the whole publishing thing is a little bit it's more. Process, yeah. yeah. Never been through that before. Yeah. Then once this one comes out, hopefully within six to eight weeks, the companion book will be coming out later this year. So yeah. We'll let you know more about that as things develop. Yeah. It looks really good, though. Like, just yeah. looking at the proofs that they've sent you and stuff, mm. it looks really nice, and it's exciting. It is. Well, today we're going to talk about a post that was made in our online community forum earlier this month, and mm. it got quite a bit of conversation, discussion going about mm. this topic. A woman, 15 weeks after the discovery of her husband's affair, writes about her need to ask questions, and her husband's reluctance to answer them. Mm -hmm. yeah, why don't you read her post? Okay. At times, I may have a question for my husband, and while he has not withheld any information or refused to answer any questions, we are at a point where I may be repeating a question, only to be met with this response. He wants me to help him understand why I feel the need to ask. How will it help me? What do I hope to gain? My typical response is to better understanding, to get perspective and clarity. I already have all of the horribly explicit details, so much of what I ask now is related to what he was thinking at different times during the affair. All I want to do is have him give me a response rather than question my reason for asking. Is that unreasonable? He feels like we go in cycles, talking about it all day, every day. But I feel that's not true. I know the repeat questions can be frustrating for anyone, but it is at the forefront of my mind every single day, and I really don't want to have to rationalize why I am asking each and every time. Welcome to the Recovery Room a podcast presented by AffairHealing.com. Here are your hosts, Tim and Sharon Tedder.
So let's talk about the need of the betrayed spouse to continue asking questions about the affair. Mm -hmm. First of all, in what this woman wrote that you read earlier, you mm -hmm. think that's normal? Oh my gosh, yes. Absolutely. Especially like the part where she says, the questions are at the forefront of my head all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that before. It's a yeah. very common experience. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, mean you, you compare it to any other trauma that someone goes to. You don't go through a trauma and then, you know, a few days later, nope. you've forgotten about it and you're moving on with life. That mm. sticks with you. Absolutely. You're trying to recover. You're trying to make sense. Well, that that's, that's it, actually. You're trying to make sense of it and your brain can't. I often explain that to people when we do EMDR before we start the process, you know, about how trauma is stored in your brain. It's different than a regular memory. It is not the same thing as as even something that could be upsetting. There's a difference between something upsetting, you know, like there was a spider on your arm and it bit you, you know, that's upsetting. That's not a trauma necessarily, I guess, depending on the spider, <laughs> but a trauma, it's not stored the same way in your memory. It isn't. It's triggered constantly. It's constantly at the front of your mind. You have that ruminating thing where you, the thoughts go round and round and round in your head. You can't just quote, get over it. Yeah. So it's quote. a process of recovery yep. from trauma. So it is a common experience. And when we see couples dealing with a fair recovery, when we observe and help betrayed spouses, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a range of what's quote normal mm -hmm. as far as a timeline of recovery. Sure. I mean, I've seen betrayed spouses who over a matter of weeks, seem to get to a place where there really wasn't a need to ask very many more questions. Mm -hmm. That's on the very low end of sure. the range, Sure. No, absolutely though. it is. What's more normal is it's going to take much longer than that right. for questions to diminish and maybe eventually you know, hardly show up at all. Mm -hmm. It's probably more normal that that be a process of months. Mm -hmm. oh, Don't you agree? Yes, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I never look at, well, what's the healthy time period for questions mm -hmm. to stop. Mm -hmm. I'm more interested in whether an individual is making progress towards change mm -hmm. in those weeks and months when they're dealing with the memory of the trauma, when they're asking questions, is it helping them move towards change or are they remaining stuck mm -hmm. in the pain experience? Right. Because we've talked about this before too. The thing that motivates all that need to know and just keep asking questions I believe that it often comes from this deep sense inside the betrayed spouse that they are locked out of a secret that their partner and the affair partner have that the betrayed spouse is not included in. Mm. And that feeling is so bad. I mean, it's such a terrible feeling to feel like you are excluded from this secret that your spouse has with someone else or your partner, that you get this urge to ask more and more. I want to know everything that happened. That way I'm part of the secret. It's not a secret anymore. Okay. I'm part of it. And I don't feel excluded and lonely. And the problem is it doesn't actually scratch that itch when you know more information. It doesn't actually take well, away Well, the that knowledge feeling. just helps you realize there's an experience that you were not a part of. Yeah. The more you know about it, the more you realize you were isolated from those experiences. And yeah, those and the more you know about it, again, with the trauma stuff, it's like we've talked a lot about that, the gory details. Yeah, yeah. You don't want those images in your head. So we're not saying that there shouldn't be a search for understanding. Right. But part of what's motivating the betrayed spouse is the, this desire for clarity, something that mm -hmm. was they weren't a part of. Mm -hmm. It feels like a secret. And they just 
want clarity in regards to what happened, why they it happened. They want clarity really badly. And in addition to the need for clarity, I think the betrayed spouse wants to see demonstrated a willingness to be honest to the questions they're, mm-hmm. <laughs> the questions mm-hmm. they're asking. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm going to ask these things, and instead of you being secretive, defensive, or resistant, mm-hmm. I need to know that you're willing to be honest with me. Yeah, sure. No matter what that takes. Yeah. No matter how humbling that can be. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched betrayed spouses ask questions that they've asked before or even ask questions that they already know the answer to. Mm-hmm. It's not the clarity they need necessarily. It's just some evidence that they're getting an honest response in mm-hmm. return. Mm-hmm. Sure. And sometimes they'll keep coming at that just because they need that assurance. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a big lie to have lived through. Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of honesty that's going to have to fill in mm-hmm. that, that, that pain and that hurt and that doubt before trust is reestablished again. Something she wrote in her post also hit me as something that I experienced. She talks about kind of wanting to know like what he was thinking or like what was in his head when he was having this affair or when he was doing these things. And I remember that. I remember that so clearly in my first marriage saying, what were you thinking? I I just wanted to know what was going on in your mind as you were making dates with this person and discussing getting a hotel and I mean like what in the world was going on in your head and you can probably answer that yeah well let let me try to give some perspective of some of the things that might be going on in the heart and mind of that unfaithful spouse who seems to be backing away from answering questions Mm -hmm. or gets defensive or whatever and as I talk about this I'm going to assume that both are wanting healing in their marriage. Now, okay. obviously, if an unfaithful spouse is still protecting an affair, right. oh, their, yeah. their motivation is, I'm going to lie because I've still got a game to play yes. here. But right. even unfaithful spouses who are really committed to uh, ending an affair and, and want to be part of healing their marriage can still seem to be defensive or backing away from mm-hmm. answering questions. So what might be going on? And you've, you've touched on one of the things in this question of what were you thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, I find that many times the reluctance or the inability to answer that question isn't so much about, well, I know the answer, but I don't want to tell you. Right. Sometimes the unfaithful spouse is just as confused about Mm -hmm. some of their own motivations Mm -hmm. after an affair has ended Mm -hmm. or uncertain about the details. Yeah. And I find that betrayed spouses don't always accept this. I mean, they think, oh, you know, why are you hiding this? Well, you know what? No, I mean, I didn't necessarily think, you know, why are you hiding this? I actually kind of wanted my ex-husband to think about what in the world led him to this behavior. You wanted that to be important to him. I did. And I wanted to, because in my head, it was somewhat of a protection against it happening again. Yeah, well, but but that's a different kind of question or even statement to be able to go to a portrayed spouse and say, it's important for me to understand why you did this. And if you're not sure of why you did this, I really want you to figure it out whether you need to read or go to counseling or spend time thinking about it. Right. The invitation to have that conversation is different from someone who's sitting there and demanding, tell me why, and mm-hmm. expecting an answer, which sometimes, you know, I see that happening. Well, of course. And and it's super frustrating because in my experience, my ex-husband would do this almost childish thing where he would say, he would go, I don't know what I was thinking. And that to somebody, a betrayed spouse, who is already in so much monumental pain, 
to have this person look at you with this kind of dumb look on their face and go, I don't know what I was thinking as I was discussing getting a hotel and that kind of stuff. It's really, you know, it can be really frustrating, infuriating, make you feel helpless. And then in those moments when you're not able to get a grip on it, you know, it really can cause you to lash out and become more upset and frustrated and ask more questions. Right. But from the unfaithful spouse's perspective, I think many times whatever answer they can give in that moment they know that's not going to be an adequate answer. I know, yeah. It's not a good explanation. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes even they're confused of what is really going on. And it may take time for them to gain the appropriate insight. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for the betrayed spouse to negotiate whether that's what's going on I know. or whether of they're course. being deceptive. Of you know? course. And, and that's why for both of them to be able to get to a place where they can assure the other that what they just want to move towards is an honest, open conversation that Mm -hmm. is as they're each learning to grow and to gain insight they're going to share it with each other Mm -hmm. rather than in defensiveness to shut down and say stop asking questions Mm -hmm. and And that's that's, not healthy it's tough it's that's a very intentional work that each person has to do yeah i think another reason that unfaithful spouses sometimes get defensive or shut down is because dealing with the shameful Mm -hmm. reminders Mm -hmm. of what they did is not an easy experience for anybody and so for some they just want to make those choices to turn that off as quickly as they can and move on Mm -hmm. so i get that Mm -hmm. i felt that before Mm -hmm. that's a powerful motivation however that will not move the conversations towards healing resolutions by just avoiding it oh yeah but but the only reason i mention that is for the betrayed spouse to understand that the motivations going on may not just be about, well, they don't care or they're still lying. Mm-hmm. That may not be the only motivation. Right, it may not be. It may be shame, yeah. especially if it's a spouse that has never been willing to be very vulnerable in their relationship before. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, they may move quickly to avoid rather than talk about those things. Yeah, or just people that just are not very in touch with their own emotions and thoughts and feelings, wants, needs, everything. When a man has had an affair Mm -hmm. and the couple is engaged in a conversation afterwards about that, and I'm being a little bit stereotypical here, but for a reason, Mm because we see this happening a lot, Mm -hmm. when his wife is expressing with emotion a need to know answers and expressing maybe even her pain, that man probably is feeling emotionally flooded. Mm -hmm. All he's seeing is danger, red. It feels maybe like an attack or it feels like this is gonna move to conflict. Mm -hmm. And so his defense, his natural defense, is just to shut down and get quiet. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not that he's necessarily wanting to cover up answers or to lie. Mm It's just his strategy for avoiding conflict. It's not a good strategy. No, he not needs, at all. He needs to learn to change that, not just for the sake of healing the affair, but moving to a different kind of relationship in their marriage as things go go on. But if that's been normal for him in the past, right. it's going to be normal for him now. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's an angry, hurt wife. Best thing for me to do is just stone cold, you know, get quiet mm-hmm. so we don't get into trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me take just a minute to tell you that in addition to our podcast, we offer many other free Affair Healing resources on the website AffairHealing.com. But if you are in need of more personal, direct help, there are two other options available to you. All three of our counselors offer phone coaching available at different times on Tuesdays through Saturdays. 
find out more information about coaching, go to affairhealing.com slash coaching. Additionally, we offer a couples retreat program. Retreats are customized to fit the unique needs of each couple that comes to us. And depending on when you come, I'm always involved in the counseling process, but Jennifer and Sharon are also often involved. If you'd like more information about the retreats and to fill out a free application without any obligation, go to affairhealing.com slash retreat. Now back to our podcast. So if it's normal for a couple on the other side of an affair to struggle with finding a balance between asking and answering questions and in a way that allows them to move forward and heal rather than staying stuck in that pattern. Mm -hmm. What are some of the recommended steps that we could suggest to encourage individuals and couples towards healthy progress in this regard? How about for the um, betrayed spouse? Usually with clients who are dealing with this, I will help encourage them to become more mindful about their responses. And I know I've said this before, but when you start to become more mindful, and that just means be aware of what is going on in your mind, even for a second, and it takes practice doing it even when you're not feeling all these feelings, you know? So like when you have a moment, start to make it a practice to take some deep breaths and just really get in touch with how you're feeling, what is going on in your mind, what emotions are coming up for you. And then being able to identify it can help you to also identify where it's coming from. Meaning when you have an image in your head of what in the heck was he thinking or where did they go or whatever the nature of the questions are, let's say, what are you thinking? Because we've been talking about that. To take a moment and say, what am I hoping to get out of this? Just to ask yourself that. Am I trying to, you know, ameliorate the pain that I've got? If I ask him this, what might possibly his answers be? If he answers, you know, X, Y, or Z, what will that make me feel? Is that going to help me? What do I really need? If you can get to the bottom of what you really well, are trying yeah, to get to. I think that's to, a good point. To distinguish between what I want to know mm -hmm. and what I need to know. Yeah, and what it will do for me to mm -hmm. know this. What, what emotional relief am I hoping to get? How do I feel like it's going to help me? Could it actually be a bad thing? How would it actually feel to know a detail about whatever? Well, that process you're describing can be part of, of a healing step. Mm -hmm. If a betrayed spouse stops and considers those things, mm -hmm. they're going to be much more intentional about yeah. what they're asking, maybe how they're asking, rather than a question comes to mind and they immediately have to go ask. Right, exactly. You know? Because at that point, you really aren't seeing what's going on. And I would say that in a broader perspective, what is helpful, I believe, for the betrayed spouse is to spend more of your energy and time focusing on yourself. Because I think that what happens in this, when you're in the crisis mode, really, if you think about it for a few minutes, you realize almost all of your energy mentally is going toward thoughts about this and images about the your partner and the affair partner. You kind of forget yourself in the mix. You become almost obsessed with them and what happened with them. And you're almost running on autopilot, not even paying attention to your own body, your own emotions, your own feelings, thoughts, wants, needs, desires, etc. Right. And so to start to kind of practice backing away from that and thinking about you first for a little bit. You know, a lot of times we are raised to think, don't think of yourself first. You know, that's selfish. 
But I think in this context, it just means taking good care of yourself, focusing in on how you're feeling, what's happening with you. When you do that, you aren't left with all the energy for the ruminating about all the questions you have because you're really busy taking good care of yourself. What do I need right now? So their questions come up. Neither of us suggest we need to avoid asking questions. No. You're saying don't just focus on the questions. Focus on yourself, your own healing. Pause and take time for that. Take time to evaluate what are the necessary questions and conversations I need to have. And be intentional about asking those. You don't have to avoid them. Just be more intentional about when and how you ask those questions and move into those conversations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, And I think for the betrayed spouse to have a self goal of asking fewer questions, to not be told you better stop doing this now, but mm-hmm. for, to recognize themselves, you know what, it's gonna be in my best interest if I can begin self-regulating and maybe yeah. asking fewer questions or you know, fewer times during the week, being yeah. intentional about conversations. You know what pops into my head as you say that what? is it's quality, not quantity. Okay. The quality of your questions. So you might even try taking some time to write down questions mm-hmm. and then really go over each one by yourself you know before you ask, before you ask yeah. like really think okay what am i hoping to hear him say or her say um what am i hoping to feel afterwards what yeah. am i looking for really inside myself from these answers and as you do that and you really look at them maybe start scratching off one or two that you probably don't need to ask because all it will get you is a greater image of whatever happened with them. And I don't mean greater by better. I mean greater by like bigger, a bigger image that really isn't that necessary to you getting to your emotional goals, which really is what question asking is, right? You're trying to get to somewhere inside yourself. So to really narrow down what that means, where are you trying to go and what questions will help you get there and which ones just aren't that helpful. You know, I don't know if I've ever worked with a betrayed spouse who's gotten this perfectly. (laughs) Oh, well, no, because none of us are perfect. And so that's not the goal. I mean, that's not the measure of whether Mm -hmm. you're healing or not. Mm -hmm. But even in times of failures, I think it can help if the betrayed spouse is communicating their desire to move towards less conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, and to want to participate with them towards that goal. It's also probably important to communicate to the unfaithful spouse their desire to move towards forgiveness. Yeah, absolutely. Because if there's the fear that, boy, you're just getting more information so it can be used against me to make it very clear. No, that's not. I'm just trying to gain clarity so that as I understand this more, mm-hmm. my desire is to want to forgive it and to put it in our past. But I just don't know how to forgive it unless I have a clear enough mm-hmm. understanding. Well, and do I have a clear enough understanding that you're somebody I can trust now? Yeah. Because you blew that. I thought I could trust you. You did this terrible thing. And now... I don't know what to do with myself with all this trust stuff. How will I know if I can start trusting you again? That's a big question, but part of wanting to have a discussion about it all the time, part of that whole stage of this is because the betrayed spouse is trying to gauge. They're trying to see, is this person somebody I can trust again yet? Are they actually remorseful about what they did? Do they actually view it as something they never want to repeat? as long as they're alive in that marriage. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's what we're trying to get to. We just don't know how. 
and then pair it with all that emotion. And it's like, we just start rapid fire shooting questions at somebody like, yeah. please, I hope one of these questions, whatever <laughs> your answer is, it makes me feel better. That's all I want. You well, know? I, I, I think that for a lot of unfaithful spouses, the clear their understanding that the pain and the questions are coming out of someone who really does want to move to stability and does want to move towards forgiveness mm -hmm. and does want to move towards a change, mm -hmm. then that can help alleviate that fear of, uh oh, here it comes again. Right. We're just moving into another round of conflict. I don't see any way to win this. I just, right. you know, is this ever going to end? Mm -hmm. And to be able to give assurance, well, yeah, this is going to take time, but mm -hmm. I'm with you in wanting this to change. Right. And I think also for the betrayed spouse to make it very clear, here's how you can give relief and comfort to me. Right. Because in those moments where, you know, all that panic is getting triggered and all they see is, boy, the conflict's coming, mm -hmm. for their partner to say, Listen, there's a lot of emotion going on and I, sometimes I get angry and, you know, some things sure. I barely feel in control over. But if you want to know your part, here's what you can do that helps bring relief and comfort to me. Mm -hmm. The way you answer questions, how you respond to me afterwards. Mm -hmm. Some people, especially guys, need help in understanding what is it that I do. Yeah, but they have to be willing to well, try to understand it. Yes. Yeah. So those are some of the things that a betrayed spouse can do that right. might help move the relationship in healthy directions. So what are some of the things that the unfaithful spouse can do? Well, the first thing I would say is the unfaithful spouse needs to put their spouse's need above their own. Mm -hmm. You know, the time they gave to the affair was self-serving mm. and it was without the spouse's consent. Yeah. And so now to sit in this uncomfortable space and expect the betrayed spouse to just get over it mm -hmm. is not only unreasonable, but it continues to be self-serving. Totally. So, they need to put their spouse's needs above their own, which means that they are going to have to be selfless for a certain amount of time. Yep. You know, to, to give their spouse what he or she needs from them. Mm -hmm. And it may take a while. And when you're in that position, I'm sure it feels even longer. Oh, it's always going to take longer than they want it to take. Yeah, Absolutely. But it sure. is part of it. I, yeah. I kind of have said the same thing when I've had clients that were the ones that had the affair. It's like, you know, I feel for you and I know your pain and your shame are great and everything. You just have to be an inordinately patient person during this and just keep reminding yourself, this is part of the fallout for what I did. Yeah. So, I mean, it's at least going to take a few months, even if it, the, you know, the infidelity was some quick, you know, almost incidental thing. It's still a deep wound. It's going to mm -hmm. take a while, but it may take much longer than that. Yeah. And for those people who had affairs going on for years, who acted selfishly for years, right. why should they have the expectation that now we're just going to get over it? Yeah, it'll Shouldn't take a month or two. Shouldn't you at least be willing to be selfless for as long as you are selfish and yes. self-serving? Yes, yes. And it may not take that long, but you need to turn to that kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it really is. You know, I mean, I, I understand that that guilt and that shame, and it can be super frustrating. Every time they look at their betrayed spouse's face, they feel it deeply again mm -hmm. of what they did. I've heard them say things like, I did this to you. I did this to you. And that's a terrible thing to have to like swallow. But just like the betrayed spouse can eventually slowly, every little step, move to a more stable place. Just like that, the unfaithful spouse can slowly, step by step, move to a place of less shame. It will require <clears throat> vulnerability, 
Yep. Which is probably the last thing that most people want to do. It is, yeah. But it is not only tremendously healing for the affair, but it will help move the marriage in new directions as well. Mm -hmm. So just accept the fact that that's something that if it's not normal for you, Mm -hmm. You're going to have to spend some time learning how to be more vulnerable mm. in your marriage. Sure. Be committed to honesty. If you are in a situation where you're being asked questions that are very uncomfortable to you, it is better for you in that moment to say, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I just not ready right now to give answer to that. Can you give me some time to think about it? It's better to do that than to get defensive or to lie. But how many times can they do that? Well, there has to be a sincere willingness to want to address sure, those things. Yeah. And if they don't feel they're capable of doing that self or they're not sure how to do it, then you get help. Mm -hmm. You go to a counselor right. or whatever, you know, right. I mean, that's what those people are for. Right. Because I mean, I can right now kind of hear dozens of betrayed spouses saying, oh, but what if he constantly says that? What if he's every single time I ask something, he goes, listen, I'm not ready to answer that right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, if I, it's an excuse, sure. I'm not talking yeah, about excuses. Yeah. It's just, it's hard to negotiate. And, and, and I will tell you that even if an unfaithful spouse, to the best of their ability, says, listen, I'm willing to be honest with you. I, I just, not at a place where I can answer that right now. The betrayed spouse may accept that as an excuse. It mm -hmm. may be hard to accept that. You're just going to have to negotiate those mm -hmm. things. I'm just saying it's better to do that than to lie mm -hmm. or to be, remain dishonest. So then let's say in a situation, the betrayed spouse asks the unfaithful spouse or partner to um, answer something and they give that reason. Oh, you know, please give me a little bit of time. I'm not ready to answer that right now. Then what are the next steps that the unfaithful spouse should do? Probably give a time frame. Okay. Say, can you give me a few days? Don't just let it be an excuse, this thing without any limit. Right. And you never come around to answer it again. Mm -hmm. Or maybe suggest, can we go to a counselor? Mm -hmm. Now, this is in an earlier podcast one time. I made the recommendation, especially when questions about hurtful details are being asked. Right, right. That we know as counselors, those are not going to help moving forward. Mm -mm. And the unfaithful spouse probably realizes that too. Wow, mm -hmm. the, the, my honest answer, these questions are going to provide additional wounds and hurt that I don't even know if my spouse can get over. Right. Well, and, and I said at the time, it's better for you to just n commit to being honest, but mm -hmm. say, I'm, I'm not going to answer those questions right now until we go to a counselor. In mm -hmm. my opinion, I know that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I got a voicemail from a betrayed spouse after I made that comment. Mm where she felt like I was just giving her unfaithful spouse an excuse to not answer questions, which I'm not doing at all. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is in some of those kinds of questions where there's potential for harm being done mm -hmm. to say, listen, I'm going to be honest, but we need the help of someone else mm -hmm. and just kind of put up a little bit of barrier, a little bit of time before you jump right into that stuff that you can't back off from once you've gotten into those right. conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, back to the question of when someone says, I'm not ready to answer I, I think that they need to give a plan. I mean, yeah. express, I'm willing to be honest. I mean, that needs to be the big message. This isn't about avoiding me being honest with you. Mm. I just want to make sure we do this in a way that's best for both of us. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, probably neither of them has a real clear thinking about what's best for them in that moment. Both of them are probably acting out of mm -hmm. emotion and pain and, and an urgent effort to get something resolved. Mm -hmm. So to be able to slow down, 
give it some time, get mm. some help is probably a good thing. Do you think it's a good idea for the unfaithful spouse partner to walk away from that and give it some thought, kind of do a similar thing to what I suggested for the betrayed spouses where they write down questions and kind of take time to really look at them and analyze a little bit, do a little bit of sure. um, a weeding process. You think that's good for the unfaithful spouse too, to walk away and really give some deep determined yeah, thought. I, I, to I what think that probably what is. most will need to do is <laughs> use some resources to help them with that, whether they're getting books that help them or whether they're going to counseling. I think it's very confusing for the unfaithful spouse to even judge, get, gain insight into their own motives or actions. Yeah. What well, are there some good books? Yeah, that? I mean, on our fairhealing.com, the recommended books has some great books. Okay. Um, but but I mean, if there's ever a time when someone needs a counselor, if you've never been to counseling uh, yeah. before, this is the time you should go to it yeah. because we certainly have resources and exercises and steps that we help people go through mm -hmm. to gain clarity and insight into what went on and why it happened and how it happened and all those right, things. Right. So they may not be able in the moment to give full answer to those things, but to express a commitment to... I want to be able to answer the questions in a way right. that are satisfying to both of us. Right. And yeah. that may take some time. Mm -hmm. So let's end with some recommended steps that couples can take to help okay. get through this time. But before we go there, let me just mention to listeners that if you want to download a guide that goes along with this podcast, it's available on our website. Just go to affairhealing.com slash podcast 204 and you'll see the information about how to get that guide. What are some of the things that couples can do to help them move through this period of questions and answers in a way that moves them towards healing? Here's some things I'd recommend. First of all, if they're caught in a tension of questions and answers and it turns into frustration or conflict or avoiding or whatever, mm -hmm. I would encourage them to agree to take a break from the questions and answers, mm -hmm. yeah, at least for a few days. Mm -hmm. And in that break, I would encourage each spouse to take some time to write a description of what they want their conversations to look like six months from now, to describe the preferred marriage, how, what kind mm -hmm. of change do they want? Because mm -hmm. what's happening now isn't satisfying to them. Right. It's going to take time for that to change. But just to try to project ahead, okay, six months from now, where would I like us to be in regards to how we talk about affair issues or just have conversations in our marriage? Mm -hmm. And then as they describe that, I'd encourage them each then to write down what they think they can do, changes right. they can make. Right. That's it's, the key. It's easy to say, well, here's where I think we should be yeah. and here's what you need to do you need to, to get do us this, there. this, this, and now, this. Both yeah. of them are going to have a part in it. Sure. But I encourage them to start by thinking, okay, what are the changes I can make or start to make mm -hmm. to get us there? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be, okay, I'll make all these changes today. It can be, okay, here, here are the changes, a progression of changes that I, I realize I can make and I want to commit myself to doing that or I right. understand that would be good to do. So think about those things and then come together and have a conversation about that. Listen to what each other's don't don't get defensive and listen and say, mm -hmm. well, I'm going to see if you're right or not. Mm -hmm. Listen with curiosity. Mm -hmm. And then when each is done describing their vision for change and what they can do mm -hmm. to ask their spouse, can you think of anything else I could do? Is there something I've missed? Yeah. And to ask that honestly and to listen with curiosity. If you disagree with what's being said, don't get immediately defensive and argue against it. Just ask more questions about it. So even if you disagree, you understand with what they're saying, what mm -hmm. they're saying about it. Mm -hmm. 
And I think, too, in that, it's not just asking what can I do to help facilitate this process, but also who do I want to be six months from now in our marriage? What kind of person do I want to be on the inside by then? And how can I get there? What kinds of things do I need to do to move closer to that person? I think out of that conversation, it would be great if the couple would come up with an agreed-on plan, Mm -hmm. specific steps they'll take to help them get there. Mm -hmm. For instance, I'll just throw these out as examples. The unfaithful spouse may agree to take the initiative to ask Hey, how are you doing? Is there anything you want to talk about? Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, because up to now, they've just been praying that the issue won't come up. No questions will be right. asked. But to make a commitment, you know what? I promise that I will take the initiative. And I don't know, maybe you start with saying I'll do that a couple times a week, maybe mm-hmm. two or three times a week, mm-hmm. maybe once a week, whatever would work. But I tell you what, when the unfaithful spouse takes the initiative to invite that conversation, which they don't, they're hoping the answer will be, no, there's nothing I want to talk about. But sometimes they're they're going to want to talk about things. But when they take the initiative, Mm -hmm. that probably does more of settling down that need to ask questions. Absolutely. By the betrayed spouse. Really, when you just said that, I was just like, wow, yeah, that would make such a huge difference Mm -hmm. to have the unfaithful spouse say, I want to talk about this. Let's talk about it. And what do you need from me? What do you need to know? Good heavens. (laughs) As far as that betrayed, yeah, as far as that betrayed spouse's question of, can I ever trust you again? Are you trustworthy? That right there would go to the heart of that question because it does. It seems like, wow, they are really invested in this, in, in us getting well. And in me, it validates the betrayed spouse's pain. Sure. And something the betrayed spouse can do is what you mentioned earlier is make a commitment, you know, before I ask questions, I'll write them down first. Mm-hmm. And I will write questions down and I will begin to limit the frequency at mm-hmm. which I come. So if they've been asking questions every day, maybe they start with saying, you know what, I'm going to write the questions when I think of them. I'll mm-hmm. put them somewhere, whether it's in my smartphone or mm-hmm. some journal, I keep these things in. And every other day to start with, I review my questions and decide which of those I still feel like asking. Yeah, yeah, it's Much true. more intentional. Mm-hmm. It's much more intentional. And, and then, you know, to look ahead and say, you know, I'm going to start with every other day and that's going to be progress for me. But, you know, within a couple of weeks time, maybe I move that to a few times a week and then two times a week. And then maybe eventually it moves to a once a week time. Mm-hmm. If both people are doing this, they're writing down the questions. And the unfaithful spouse is inviting them to ask the questions they've written down. Right. That would be a oh perfect case scenario. Yeah, no, that yeah, that would be a well-crafted, intentional healing process. Whatever plan you come up with, my encouragement for you as a couple is to come up with a day and time every week where you just check in with each other. Yeah. Not to ask questions about the affair, but to ask how you're doing with your plan. Mm, Say, how mm -hmm. are we doing? And if either of you has failed to do what you committed to do, admit it. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, forgive me for that. I'm sorry. I want to get back on track. Get back on track. Failure is not the end of the process. And I wouldn't even call it failure. You know what I mean? I would say just being imperfect. And that's normal. And that is so completely I tell couples all the time, you're not going to get this perfect. So no. just don't leave this office expecting, great, everything's fixed now. Yeah. You're both going to have those moments of failure, but that's an opportunity to learn, to reconnect and commit to the progress that you will make. And yep. if you will do that, change will happen. Mm-hmm. I, I read something in one of my little lessons that I do, and the author of this one, she said, imperfectly take action. Mm. 
because she was saying a lot of times we don't do anything because we're afraid of it not being perfect. Then we just don't do anything because we're never going to be perfect. <laughs> and I just, that impacted me a lot because I fall prey to that whole thing sure. of like not acting because yeah. I don't want to fail. When in reality, any action you take, even if it's imperfect, it's good because you're taking action. Right. And I think that applies so much to a marriage that has been this wounded. The only way you guys are going to make it through is to act You've got to take action. You can't just sit there and hope that it heals by itself. So there you go. We encourage you, take your first imperfect steps yes. towards change. The Recovery Room Podcast is a resource provided by AffairHealing.com. For more information about the podcast and resources for Affair Recovery, including archives of past programs and the schedule for upcoming ones, please go to affairhealing.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Tim Tedder. See you next time. <laughs>